Welcome to Madison's Notes, the official podcast of Princeton University's James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions. I'm your host, Nino Scalia. Our website is jmp.princeton.edu, and our Twitter handle is at Madison Program. It's great to have you with us. Hello and welcome back to Madison's Notes. I'm your host, Nino Scalia, and we're joined today by two very wonderful guests, Keith Whittington and Bernard Haeckel. They join us today to discuss an exciting new initiative of the James Madison program, the Initiative on Freedom of Thought, Inquiry, and Expression, or more simply, the Free Speech Initiative. But before we turn to the initiative, we turn to the two men who will serve as co-directors of this initiative. Keith Whittington is the William Nelson Cromwell Professor of Politics here at Princeton University, a member of the James Madison Program's Executive Committee, and the chairman of the Academic Committee of the Academic Freedom Alliance. He is the author of many notable books, including most recently, Repugnant Laws, Judicial Review of Acts of Congress from the Founding to the Present, and Speak Freely, Why Universities Must Defend Free Speech. This is his second tour on Madison's Notes, as he last joined us in August of 2021 to discuss the work of the Academic Freedom Alliance. Bernard Haeckel is a professor of Near Eastern Studies here at Princeton University, where he is also director of the Institute for the Trans-Regional Study of the Contemporary Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia. He is an authority on Islamist political movements and Islamic law, and is the author of numerous articles on the politics and history of Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Salafism, and Islamism. Professor Haeckel appears frequently in print and broadcast media, including PBS, NPR, The New York Times, Project Syndicate, and the BBC, among others. Keith Whittington, welcome back to Madison's Notes. And Bernard Haeckel, welcome to Madison's Notes. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you both with us here today as we officially launch this new initiative on freedom of thought, inquiry, and expression, the free speech initiative. So let's start with this. And Keith, since, as I mentioned, you're doing your second tour here, we'll start with you. What is this initiative and why is it necessary? Yeah, so the initiative is a um, offshoot of the uh, Madison program. I'm very happy that uh, the Madison program provided us a home uh, to do this. We've been talking some about trying to create um, uh, some kind of vehicle um, on Princeton University's campus um, uh, to talk about free speech issues, um, partially in order to simply um, talk about these issues on campus. Um, So part of the goal is to orient ourselves toward Princeton University itself toward the students, the faculty, the larger uh, campus community, um, uh, bring uh, programming um, to um, uh, that campus community that talks about and allows a conversation and fosters a larger conversation um, about uh, free speech issues affecting uh, universities in particular, but um, uh, free speech more broadly um, as it affects um, uh, the the country. Um, uh, And and we hope also for this to be a scarlet and help um, foster new scholarly work that helps um, illuminate um, the challenges um, confronting uh, free speech, not only in a campus environment, um, but also more generally um, in a democracy. Absolutely. And uh, Bernie, is there is there anything you'd like to add to what your co-director said there? 
I just want to reiterate the importance of the subject. For me in particular, the topic is is particularly important because, uh, you know, I grew up in the Middle East where free speech is a very rare thing uh, and where, in fact, we see um, the doubling down on authoritarianism and on the you know, states that are punishing people for free expression uh, of all kinds, um, not just political, uh, you know, people who say things about social matters. Um, uh, and and so I would like to, A, both learn more about this and hopefully uh, uh, help educate about it. And while I do think that the center, I mean, the initiative is focused principally on Princeton, I hope to draw lessons and and uh, hopefully our publications and our, our, our efforts will help uh, propagate these ideas beyond Princeton as well, and even overseas. Bernie, I actually wanna spend a little more time on your bio there, because I'm sure listeners were listening to your bio in the beginning with sort of a mix of admiration and confusion. Admiration for what you've accomplished, but confusion about why we have this prominent scholar of the Arabian Peninsula, Islamist political movements and more, on this podcast, not to talk about America's foreign policy in the region, but about free speech. You've already alluded a little bit to this. Your experience growing up in the region helped you to see the importance of free speech. But could you say a little more about how your scholarly work informs your views on free speech? So, you know, I work on political movements, but also on the history um, and the politics of countries uh, that... uh, not only don't foster free speech, but frankly, uh, try to prevent it. Um, uh, You have laws in uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, for instance, but also throughout the Middle East that will punish people uh, for uh, matters to do with freedom of conscience, uh, to do with political uh, and sexual orientation, uh, to do with um, social uh, commitments, of various kinds, and um, for me, it's you know, it's it's personally very important. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I am in the United States and and not in the Middle East. Mm. It's because I am free here to uh, write and to speak. It's it's very dear uh, to me. I guess you know, um, many immigrants to this country feel this way mm. uh, ab- about the United States, and I'm no different. Um, in, in appreciating uh, the freedoms of this country. Of course, I would love to see uh, our freedoms uh, propagated and, and exported uh, so that people in the Middle East and elsewhere can also uh, benefit from, from the freedoms that we enjoy here. Um, but to do so, I think you have to understand, I have to understand better um, why it is that we are free here and um, how it is that these values are enshrined in institutions and practices and precedent. Um, and um, so, so for me, for me, uh, you know, this is crucial. And I have personally, I have friends who are in prison as we speak mm. uh, in, for instance, Saudi Arabia, who are in prison because of their, um, because of a tweet that they wrote or because of some article that they, uh, that they wrote or something they said. Um, and it's painful, you know, when you have people who you know personally and are, are dear to you uh, are being punished for this. It's, it's, it's particularly painful. In some conversations with friends, especially friends who work outside of the, of the confines of academia, they'll hear what you might have had to say and say, 
Do you hear that? People thrown in prison for a tweet? These are places that need free speech centers. These are the places that need this help. Princeton University, Harvard, Chicago, they don't need this help. How bad can the problem really be that a center is necessary? Keith, how bad is the problem really? Uh, well, fortunately, the problem is not that bad uh, <laughs> uh, because otherwise you couldn't have the center. Uh, right. So it certainly is true that it'd be great to have a free speech center um, in a lot of these authoritarian countries that don't respect free speech. Um, but the problem, of course, is that uh, in those countries, uh, centers of this sort get shut down, conversations of this sort um, get shut down. The hope is that, um, uh, that you can have these uh, discussions and, and uh, work on these issues uh, in places that are still free and hopefully propagate out um, uh, the kinds of ideals and vision um, uh, so that, that that will be true of more places. Um, and it'd be nice um, if uh, the need right now uh, was to establish centers for free speech uh, simply for the purpose um, of trying to promulgate these ideas is um, uh, elsewhere in the world uh, where free speech principles are not adequately uh, recognized and protected. Um, unfortunately, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, free speech um, has its own challenges, um, uh, not only at Princeton University, but in the United States um, and in Western democracies uh, more generally. Um, I don't think that should be entirely surprising. Free speech has always been a difficult principles, um, one, to fully understand, but also um, to actually implement actively and consistently um, in practice. So there's always a need, I think, even in established liberal democracies um, to be thinking uh, about the nature of these principles and try to think about how they ought to be applied um, in the future. Um, and unfortunately, I think we are in a situation um, uh, on American university campuses um, and at this point um, in American history um, that if we are not aggressive um, in trying to uh, defend these principles now, uh, we may find ourselves a lot less free um, in coming years and decades. Yeah. Bernie, I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on how it is that we got into this situation? Right, America, this is supposed to be the land of free speech, right? It's enshrined in our, in our very first amendment, right? It's right there, top of the list. And yet here we are, where you have administrations, faculty members, members of the staff, even other students trying to stifle the free speech of their peers, of their classmates, why is that? How did we get into this sort of situation? So, um, look, I, I, I should caveat uh, or, pre, or preface what I'm going to say by, by underlining that I am not an expert on uh, free speech in the United States. Keith is, the, is that person. <laughs> um, now, having said that, uh, my understanding is that, and, and just as Keith pointed out, this is not uh, a, a set of principles that uh, has always been... Um, you know, valorized, cherished, you know, and uh, uh, enshrined in practice. I mean, it's always been a challenge in American history um, from different from different uh, sides of the political spectrum on many different issues. There's always been um, attention, attention. There's always been a struggle about the the space uh, uh, for these principles, to, and and I think it's. Um, a constant effort. One can't just take it for granted that we have free speech just because it's enshrined in the constitution. You also need to, it's, it's a set of habits. It's a, it's an attitude. And I think different generations of Americans have had different views on it. So earlier, for instance, in, in, in our history, um, the attacks on, on free speech came very often from the right against, let's say people who were uh, accused 
of being Marxists or communists. Uh, now we have more attacks on free speech that are coming from the left side of the spectrum. And you also, I think, uh, uh, I think from my own experience, and this is anecdotal, I get the feeling that uh, the younger generations don't appreciate these principles uh, as much as earlier generations did. There's a sense uh, that I get that, um, you know, some 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 people don't think they're important. There are other there there are other values, say social justice, that are more important than free speech. Um, I think social justice is very important, but I also think that free speech is very important. And and I don't think uh, free speech just exists, uh, it, you know, in the air without it being talked about, studied, um, reinforced, um, uh, elaborated on. And I think constantly being uh, and 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 it's a challenge because. It, it's not easy. Sometimes you have to listen to people you don't like, but you still have to be respectful. And that's a culture. I think that's really a culture. And it's a culture that needs to be constantly sustained and nourished. It can't just exist uh, without without that nourishment. Yeah. Uh, Keith, one thing that surprises me a little bit, or it surprised me in college, it seemed that when you read about the free speech battles of old, what you would find is a war between administrators and students. Today, it seems like there's a war, yes, to some degree between administrators and students, though the administrators are pretty quick to cave, but really between students and students. You have student groups actively trying to shut down other student groups, student groups actively trying to force speakers off campus. Is that really new? And if so, uh, where did that come from? I do think this is fairly new, um, and I, I do think it's a real phenomenon um, that we've seen um, in, in part a uh, generational shift, as Bernie suggests, um, uh, in which um, uh, the college age students, but at this point, um, even those who are um, uh, beyond college age, um, are um, uh, less sympathetic to robust free speech values uh, than was once true. Um, they certainly, I think, tend to feel uh, the pressure of censorship um, on things they care about less uh, than earlier generations did. And so one reason why you saw students in the 50s, 60s, and 70s pushing aggressively for more protections for free speech um, on college campus and uh, ca college campuses, but also elsewhere, um, was precisely because they thought their speech was being suppressed um, in various ways. They had things they wanted to say uh, that they thought often their elders um, um, and, and university officials and sometimes the uh, legal officials um, uh, were not interested in letting them uh, say. And so they felt the need to uh, push back on that and, and expand um, the scope of what kind of speech uh, people could reasonably engage in. Um, to some degree, the uh, students um, now um, uh, have the advantage of those gains that they can take a lot for granted. Um, and when you take a lot for granted, it's easy to forget um, uh, what the underlying foundations are for the things you're taking for granted. So it's easy to um, uh, just assume uh, that these kind of protections for free speech that they do care about always be there and that nothing will be lost if you uh, erode away uh, some of that. Um, but also they um, uh, find themselves um, both interested in and with real power to 
um, uh, suppress a lot of speech they disagree with um, uh, in ways that um, I, I just don't think we've seen um, uh, from uh, younger generations uh, any any time in recent uh, American history. And so you do have this very unusual phenomenon um, of uh, really the students demanding um, the speech be uh, more constrained, um, that uh, the scope of, of ideas and debate and expression uh, be drawn in uh, much more uh, narrowly. Um, uh, I just saw the other day, for example, very interesting uh, documentary that's now um, on HBO, uh, focusing on uh, showing the movie Clockwork Orange um, in Spain uh, in the early 70s, um, at a time in which uh, the Spanish government was under a right-wing dictatorial government, um, very restrictive on what kind of movies could be shown in the country more generally. Um, and uh, the uncrack um, in Spain in which it was possible to show movies like uh, Clockwork Orange at the time uh, was near a university where students were demanding uh, to be allowed in to be able to see uh, movies like this um, uh, being shown. And it's a reminder of the extent to which students in the 60s and 70s were really on the forefront of trying to expand the culture, expand the range of expression and expand the range is. Um, interestingly, that documentary ends by talking to some current students who one had never seen the film, hardly had heard of the film, and then when exposed to the film, uh, all had the reaction of saying, well, it's hard to imagine you could actually make something like that uh, today, and maybe you shouldn't uh, be allowed <laughs> to make something like that today, and, and no one should be allowed. Uh, to see it. Um, it's just a remarkable transformation about sort of the attitude students have um, and college age uh, young people in general have um, about uh, what the scope of allowable expression um, ought to be these days. Yeah. Bernie, anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, I, I agree. I, I feel that um, that younger, stu younger uh, students, A, have uh, much less uh, tolerance for um, expression uh, then certainly when I went to university, um, I mean, for instance, you know, I, I mean, I, w I went to Georgetown, uh, which is a Catholic university, as, as you know, and, uh, you know, uh, in my freshman year, The Life of Brian was uh, that, you know, the Monty Python film was shown on campus. And um, it was just assumed that 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 the university would never object to, to that. Um, and uh, I, I, I think now there are all kinds of uh, those kinds of assumptions can't be taken for granted. For instance, you know, if you want to invite uh, someone who is, uh, you know, who has very uh, strong views on uh, any any number of issues, I imagine it would be quite difficult to, to bring them to campus. Now, having said that, I should underscore that Princeton has, um, you know, a very uh, laudable tradition and, and, and history of having tolerated recently even, uh, you know, all kinds of opinions. And the university administration, in fact, um, supports uh, the initiative and, in fact, encouraged, encouraged us to uh, set it up and, and to collaborate with different units of the university. Uh, and we hope to do so. We hope that this initiative will, uh, while housed at the, at the James Madison program, will, in fact, engage with other units of the university uh, on, the, on these issues. Because I know we have allies and we have supporters uh, across campus, not just um, at the JMP. I'd like to focus on the mission statement of the initiative for a second. And this mission is in part, quote, to promote, explain, and defend free speech and academic freedom, end quote. Okay, so it seems to me like before we can promote or defend free speech, we have to be able to explain it. And Keith, 
you've literally written a book on this. So what can you tell us about free speech on college campuses? Is it guided by the same principles and, and kept within the same confines as free speech outside the gates? Is it more restricted or less so? What exactly are we promoting and defending? Well, I mean, free speech is complicated um, in general, and it's complicated in particular on university campuses. I think university campuses are, are relatively complex spaces uh, for engaging in free speech. And, and the two concepts that uh, the mission statements put together that you just quoted um, highlights that. That is, it's, we're interested in free speech, but also academic freedom, yeah. uh, which are related ideas. Um, uh, they're both about um, intellectual exchange and the freedom um, uh, to uh, think and articulate um, a set of controversial views. Um, but they're structured somewhat differently and they both exist on university campuses. So we think about academic freedom, for example, as being particularly concerned uh, with what goes on in the classroom and what goes on in scholarship. Um, and we expect that to occur within bounds of various sorts. We expect certain kinds of conversations uh, to be occurring in the classroom, certain kinds of conversations be promoted uh, through uh, scholarship um, and the like. Um, uh, whereas free speech, we often think of as much more uh, rambunctious chaotic, um, open-ended um, about where it might go and what it might look like. Part of what the student uh, free speech movement of the late 1960s and early 1970s um, at Berkeley, but across the country was designed to do was precisely to say, well, look, universities shouldn't just be places uh, where scholars do their scholarly work and we have these very careful um, but constrained conversations um, inside of seminars and inside the classroom. Um, universities ought to also be places uh, where we can have much more uh, wide-ranging uh, discussions um, in the public square, for example, uh, where students can express their own uh, opinions about things, um, even if those opinions from the view of the faculty are quite wrong. Uh, for example, that universities ought to be spaces uh, that's willing to tolerate some pretty bad speech, um, some false speech, um, some speech that's highly contested, some speech that doesn't meet up uh, with scholarly values, uh, but nonetheless is uh, part of the dynamics of the kind of free exchange um, that universities are in part um, concerned with uh, promoting. And so you expect ultimately for the kind of speech you're trying to nurture and foster and tolerate, it's gonna look pretty different um, in a seminar room as opposed to the public square, as opposed to a dorm room. Um, but all those kinds of conversations need to be taking place on a college campus if they're going to be the kind of intellectually vibrant um, entities um, that we hope they will be. Um, and one of the challenges I think for an initiative like this is to try to explore that complicated um, space to try to tease out what are the differences between academic freedom um, and free speech? Why should we uh, tolerate uh, robust free speech on a college campus in which people can say things uh, that, the that from the on campus, that from the perspective of experts on campus is wrong? Uh, for example, should we be tolerant of that kind of speech even um, on university campuses or should the truth seeking function of a university uh, be better served precisely by restricting that kind of um, that might be tolerated in order to focus more um, on the kind of scholarly speech that the uh, faculty might uh, might engage in. Um, those are hard and interesting questions um, and trying to get the right answers to those questions and try to think them through have real implications, not only for how universities ought to operate, but ultimately I think for how we ought to be thinking about free speech more broadly in, in American democracy. And I hope uh, the initiative can be part of that uh, conversation of trying to think through what exactly are the implications of free speech and what are the implications of free speech in different kinds of contexts that exist um, in, in a society and how do we best uh, nurture and foster them. Absolutely. You, you mentioned free societies. Let's turn to free societies. And, and through the work of this initiative, professors, students, staff members 
and the general public will, and I'm, I'm quoting again here from the mission statement, learn how and why freedom of thought and inquiry is essential to the health of universities and free societies, end quote. So we believe this initiative is good, not just for Princeton University, essential not only to other universities, but essential to the health of free societies. Bernie, why is that? Well, I mean, look, it, all, it, all it takes is to look around the world. You know, if you, you see societies where you uh, don't have uh, free speech and where you have censorship and government control and surveillance and punishment uh, regimes, uh, and you see that uh, the societies are not healthy. I mean, you, people get punished and, and uh, there, is, there, there is no vigorous debate and, and people don't get challenged. And I don't think you can really learn if you're not challenged and if you're not confronted by people you disagree with. I mean, the disagreement should be civil, ideally, it should be respectful, but you know, people of goodwill uh, you know, can have rational disagreements with each other and they should. Um, and, and I think, you know, as I said, you can look around the world and you can see places that are not uh, free and where the societies are, uh, where there's a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice. And, and so I think there is a connection between, uh, you know, societies that are free and, and societies that are more just than others. Um, I also wanted to add just one thing, if I may, to what Keith had just said earlier, which is one of the one of the areas that I would love the initiative to, to focus on is not just uh, the individual's uh, right to, to free speech and academic freedom, uh, you know, the, the, the university citizen, but also the university itself. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what, what is appropriate for a university as, as an institution uh, um, for, for, for it to, to have a view on, uh, on contentious matters, on matters that are contested uh, between, between people and within society? Should, should the institution, for instance, Princeton University, take a, take a position especially if that position is not directly pertinent to its functioning as a university. Uh, I think those are a set of issues that uh, came up uh, at the University of Chicago, uh, which is a center for, uh, ha has been in the past a, a great center for debating these, these uh, principles. And I think um, it's, it's high time we come back and revisit some of these questions, especially, as I said, the, the position that an institution can or should take uh, on on matters and and therefore uh, the you know the constraining power of an institution once it takes a position let's say on a given matter does that restrict speech does that uh, you, you know does that uh, chill have a chilling effect on speech uh, I think those are issues that we really ought to have a vigorous debate about and think about um, um, here at Princeton and 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 all across the country uh, lastly I would say also one more thing which is that. I would hope that this initiative becomes a place where lots of students and ad administrators and faculty come and, and learn and, and also, um, you know, uh, places where they can come and, 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 and view, state their views on uh, the state of, of what they consider to be academic freedom and free speech on campus um, so that we become a locus for, for, uh, for these debates. And also for uh, you know if there are complaints or there are issues, then you know those this is this is the right place to be to be um, to be addressing them and to be discussing them um, on campus. 
Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, join me on Madison's Notes as we announce this new initiative. Uh, I'm very excited to see what comes. I know listeners uh, should all visit our, our website. There's a link to the initiative's new webpage in the show notes. Check it out. See some of the exciting announcements that we'll have coming out in the, in the next few days about what this initiative will be doing and the tremendous good that it will do under the leadership of these two very distinguished guests. Keith Whittington, and Bernard Haeckel. Thank Thank you. you both very much for joining us today on Madison's Notes. Thanks. Thank you. Well, there you have it, Madisonians. Keith Whittington and Bernie Haeckel, directors of the James Madison Program's new free speech initiative, which has officially launched. You can visit jmp.princeton.edu slash free speech to learn more about the initiative and its directors, and be sure to stay tuned for additional information about the initiative and the programs it will be offering. I hope your new year has been off to a good start, and I hope to have you back with us next time, here on Madison's Notes.